The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. to Fearless Fabulous You. I almost said my other show. Welcome to Fearless Fabulous You. I am your host, Melanie Young, uh, and today is Wednesday, September 20th. It's been a very busy week. First of all, first of all, another hurricane is hitting the Caribbean today, Um, and I have been very active, uh, just shot at a big blog um, to all my mailing lists about hurricane relief efforts taking place in New York City this week for those affected by uh, Irma and Harvey. And now we're going to be adding Maria. um, And I've just been cranking it out to try to help as many people as I can. Um, I hope wherever you are today listening, you are safe and dry. I certainly am. I'm back up in the Hudson Valley after a whirlwind trip to California to uh, a fabulous wine event, which I'll be talking about on my uh, later show today at 2, the Connected Table Live, and uh, New York. Um, As you know, my mission here at Fearless Fabulous You is to help women of all ages make healthy choices to lead a happier life. Uh, We all face challenges in our life. Uh, We all face uh, chapters. I certainly have. I'm probably now in my third chapter, and I'm really young uh, because I'm Melanie Young. I'm forever young. And so that is my mission with you and my guests. So that is a great lead-in to my first guest because I'm just going to put it up this way. If you grew up watching the television show The Waltons, remember The Waltons? Yeah, it ran for like a zillion seasons. Uh, You may have fallen in love with one of the little girls on the show named Erin. Well, Erin is all grown up, and she is a lovely lady, a successful, still a successful actress, author, activist, and advocate, and we have her today on Fearless Fabulous Shoe. We're going to talk about some topics that are near and dear to her heart and to mine as well about body image and body shaming and how you need to be comfortable in your skin at all ages and what you can do about that. Her name is, I hope I don't butcher your last name, because we got we really hooked in very quickly before I got on the air. Mary McDonough? <laughs> Close. It's McDonough. McDonough. Thank you. I, I, literally, we were so busy chatting. I didn't get the I spell. <laughs> so, Already Mary having McDonough. too much fun. McDonough. Mary McDonough. Yeah. Nice Irish name, right? Irish or Scottish? Yes. Mary Elizabeth Catherine Murray McDonough is my actual full name. Ooh, that sounds Scottish. No, I'm a Mick, not a Mac. You're a mix. Oh, are mix mixer Irish and Max are Scottish? It, it, sometimes it's not okay. a, not a complete rule, but yeah. So Mac is yeah, but I'm a Mick McDonough. Wow, you get that? You get a long name. Long name for a little girl. I probably said when you're a little girl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really great to have you uh, join me today. Uh, from you're in Denver, you said today on, on Fearless Fabulous You. I really appreciate it. Um, you were. Uh, uh, I was reading about you at your website, and for those of you who want to check out, it's Mary M C 
not M-A-C, M-C-D-O-N-O-U-G-H.com. Your story inspires me because I feel, and you probably do too, we are living in such an image-conscious world. Mm-hmm. And there's so much pressure on people, and we're talking to women of all ages, and you really experienced it firsthand. First of all, you know, you were a child actress on a successful television show, The Waltons. You know, back then, a lot of young, unless you were an actress, right, or a model, Mm -hmm. you really were not in the public eye as a young girl, right? But now, you know, you've got families sticking their kids on Instagram and YouTube and reality shows. Oh, yeah. Everybody, everybody's a star. Everybody's out there now <laughs> opening yeah. themselves up for shaming and hatred and comments and praise and all of all it, that. right? So what was the experience like for you? You were a professional, but you're still a kid. What was it like for you? And what was your age when you were, when you were filming The Waltons? Well, I was 10 when I started, and I was um, about tw- almost 22 when I finished. So it went from the homecoming, which was the pilot, through the series. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent over half of my life on the show by the time I finished it. Wow. That's intense, because you literally had two families. I did. I did. I didn't even see my real family for a long, very much. When I was growing up, I was really around the Walton family most, and so I, they became my, my family and still are. And, um, but yeah, yeah, growing up in the public and, you know, the image conscious, you know, era, and I think it's worse today, but certainly there was a lot of um, focus around that. Well, I'm curious, you know, you literally went through adolescence, the awkward adolescence, uh, while you were on the show, which is oh, yeah. really, which is, you know, let's talk about that experience. What was that like for you? And did you experience, you know, thank God there was no internet back then and social media so people could like, you know, make comments about your breasts or anything as they were starting to expand. But did you experience anything that made you feel uncomfortable about your body as part of this? Or did you have to like, Oh like, yeah. Did you have to bind your breasts or anything? I read some. No, you know, no, we didn't have to do that. I mean, there was just, a, um, uh, because the show was so natural and took place, it was a period piece. So we were all, you know, for a long time we had no makeup on and we were barefoot and wore really old, um, smelly clothes. <laughs> oh, God, that sounds like my life right now up in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so we, we um, you know, but then as I got older, there was a very, there was a lot. I mean, I had really bad teeth, and there was a lot of stuff about my teeth, and they literally would not let me have braces on the show well, yeah, because it was a poor back family. In, back in those days. and yeah, you're Except Melissa family. Gilbert got to wear braces on Little House on the Prairie. I still have teeth issues. I'm going through some stuff right now that is a result of me not being able to have proper braces with my teeth. So that is that is kind of a funny thing. But then then there was the body image stuff. You know, when I got to be a certain age, and then my character ended up, you know, becoming the pretty one, as people said. They whispered it to me like it was, you're the pretty one. Don't tell anyone. And so that became sort of a mixed message to me. It's like, well, why are you whispering it? That must be a bad thing. It's like, well, it will hurt, you know, you know, Elizabeth's the baby and Mary Ellen is the, the feisty, smart one, and you're the pretty one. So it became um, a mixed message to me and was very confusing. And then at one point I started, you know, just maturing as a normal kid and 
growing my body, my hips, I have hips for the nation and growing up. And then um, they kept wanting me to fit into my old wardrobe. So I have it. It's in my book, Lessons from the Mountain, about how this wardrobe woman, I went for my fitting the next season, and she said, well, can you fit into the um, dresses from last year or have you gained more weight? Wow. And that was sort of, that sort of started it this idea that, wait a minute, and then they always wrote these, uh, you know, shows and episodes where Erin was in a beauty contest, and she always lost, and every time it was about her looks, she would lose, so um, I think I took that on a little bit, and it became about what I looked like instead of that I, that I and Erin had something valuable to offer, Aaron, like Mary Ellen did, like Aaron, Elizabeth Erin was did. the middle child for everybody listening, and I'm looking at yes. Everybody looks, poor Aaron. You know, for people who are you know poor, you all look pretty. You know, being even though you're poor, you all look lovely. I mean, I, I come from <clears throat> down in the south, and I've seen some pretty poor people, and they don't look this good. Trust me. Uh, because yes, well, it is thin, television. You know, I know. <laughs> let's face it. You're all thin and healthy looking. Most of the people I know who are down in this neck of the woods, where I actually did meet some people from Appalachia because my mother worked with the hard of hearing and literally they pulled them out of the mountains and the gullies to get <laughs> to get their hearing mm. tested in their speech and I saw some pretty scary obese people but you everybody because it's television but you know the weight thing the commentary must have really stung because you're also um did you hang out with other like actresses I mean I would think that talk about competitive uh what was that like for you yeah, there was always a little bit of competition, and I did hang out with some other actresses, and, but we weren't really so competitive with each other. It was nice, you know, growing up. Erin Moran was a friend, and we could share and talk about the trials and tribulations and the difficulties of that pressure, so that was, it was good to have an ally in that way, and, but definitely, you know, there was, you know, there's always my shows more this, that, that, and, you know, with other people, but, but not so much with the people who became my friends. Mm-hmm. And we could bond more than anything else. Well, so years later, yeah, that we all really yeah. started to talk about the truth, you know. Well, yeah, because nobody talked about it back then. I mean, you know, you're just doing your work, probably just going to work and doing your part. But as you, I would think as you grew older, just for everybody listening, it wasn't like her life stopped after the Waltons. Uh, Mary went on to um, appear in numerous series. I mean, in series are great. ER, Pick Offenses, Will and Grace, American Dreams, Boston Legal. And you also um, wrote, directed films also. Yeah, and I was also a, re- a recurring character on um, the, the New Adventures of Old Christine. Right. But right after the show, um, it, I, it was really hard because it was the Dallas era, so it was all about big hair and big boobs, and I kept losing parts. And I had a lot of actress friends in my acting class who were getting breast implants, and I kept losing parts because I didn't have, you know, it wasn't sexy enough. I didn't have big enough boobs. I didn't, so there became this focus on, you know, my body, and all I wanted to do was work. So when these friends of mine were like, yeah, we're, here's what we're doing. It's totally safe. They'll last a lifetime. It's great. I ended up having silicone gel breast implants, which was one of the worst decisions I ever made in my life. And um, instead of saving my career, it destroyed my health and, and my career in life. How did it, so, what, so, what happened, Mary? I mean, just, you know, I have them, but I have them because I had a mastectomy, so I, I had reconstruction. I have never, though, in my entire life when I had my real breasts, ever thought about 
altering them at all. And so many women do. What happened? Um, I understand why you got the implants, but what happened? Because I think this is really important. Well, I became a huge advocate, um, a citizen activist and lobbyist in Washington, D.C., um, because of the implant issue. So I was a very healthy girl. I got silicone gel breast implants. Implants always leach and bleed. Whether they're saline or silicone, there's always a silicone outer lining. And we know that, um, that silicone can cause an immune response in the body. So my implants leached, and you know they, they always do, and the silicone went throughout my system and triggered an immune response, which has now been diagnosed as lupus. <gasps> so I got really, really sick over the course of 10 years, and it, just, it was a slow fade, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me until like, at one point I couldn't lift my daughter. I couldn't <gasps> hold her. I, my hair fell out. I looked tired all the time. I had chronic fatigue. I, ha- I had um, rashes. I started to um, have headaches and flu-like symptoms that never really turned into the flu. I had fibromyalgia and joint pain and stiffness. And I just, I just you know, felt like I was 70 years old. And wow. um, I was finally diagnosed with lupus. And, and, um, but at that time, the reports were coming about, about a possible link between that, those symptoms and um, silicone gel breast implants scaring me because you know what I have some of those I have silicone just I have silicone implants and I have a couple of issues as well that you just described mine is Raynaud's and, and complete numbness in my arms so you that know, is I'm one of the symptoms that that is one yeah. of the symptoms as well Melanie I don't, I don't want to scare you but yeah well, we'll talk offline yeah well, <laughs> but well, no, Raynaud's I mean, I, is a very big part of that and yeah, you know yeah. so for a long time that people thought we were all crazy and my goal was never to take implants away. We wanted just to get a safe implant because when I had them, nobody told me they were never FDA approved. They were Mary, grandfathered in under medical yeah. devices, so they were Mary, never proven safe. I want to read this just for all listening because everybody's probably with silicone implants of all kind are probably going, oh, no. Oh, um, no. You say very clear here. Let me. This is on your website. Let me make one thing clear. I am not anti-implant. I am pro-safety and information. Now that the FDA has lifted restrictions on silicone, um, I, you, your concern is that we'll never have a good, safe implant. And please study the devices. So my question to you is, first of all, Mary, did you have your implants removed? Yes. And that it was the beginning of my becoming a healthy person. I lost my 20s and 30s to, to, my, to the illness of implants. And it wasn't until I had my implants removed in block, which means they didn't cut them open and scrape them out. They removed them. Um, only, only then did I start to get better and start to heal. And the farther away I get from my breast implant removal surgery, the healthier I am. I'm healthier now at 56 than I was when I was you know, 26. Well, first of all, congratulations on doing that. That's a very big step. Um, and I admire you for taking that because it's you know, more surgery. And, you know, for, and, and for all of you yep. listening out there, I really want to underscore, and I think Mary Ogre, when you're considering um, any kind of elective surgery, okay, which mm-hmm. is an implant, you need to realize it is surgery and it is a risk. And as Mary has said, there was risks once the implants were in, so she had to go back and get another surgery, which is another risk, right? And yes, and what we know, and, and believe me, Melly, I did not want to have I. I was in such denial that this could possibly be causing my symptoms. 
I didn't, I didn't believe it. My friends had started to have them taken out, and I, I just couldn't, I just didn't want it to be that because I, I didn't feel natural with them ever in, mm-hmm. in the, and I sort of hid them all the time. So to have another surgery to have them taken out was horrifying to me. But what we yeah. know now, and what we didn't know before I started lobbying Congress, and what the manufacturers will tell you now is that implants do not last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. You need to have a surgery every six to nine years to replace them. Mm-hmm. You also need to know that implants are opaque and if you have a mammogram it can rupture them and you need to have a specialist to take six different angles to make sure to that they can cover all the angles to find breast cancer if it is there being hidden by the implant so I'm all about education Mm-hmm. And I get letters and emails every day to my website asking me, like, where were you 20 years ago? I was like, well, I was lobbying Congress and talking about it on e- Entertainment Tonight and in- Inside Edition and trying to spread the word. But people are still having issues because they're kind of the same implants. They're not that they're not different. So, Mary, what about, you know, when I when I went breast shopping for my new breast, I had the option of saline and silicone. I also had the option of getting fat taken out of my body, but that's a whole other issue. Um, what about saline? So saline still has a, um, a silicone envelope, mm-hmm. which can break down. So you can wake up one morning and all the saline that's in there ha- is, has leaked out into your system. We know that when they hang a saline bag in the hospital, it has an expiration date on it. Mm-hmm. But when they put one into your chest... They don't give you an expiration date. And we also know that, it's, that with your body's moist, warm um, temperature, that, it's, that a lot of people have gotten bacteria and that have, has grown inside the implants. And if you look online, there's a lot of places you can see them. When they remove them, they're black inside. So that can cause other, other health issues. Well, I'm just wondering, you know, for those women who do have implants, for whatever reason, um, how often do you need to go have them checked with your, um, I guess, your, your reconstructive or your plastic surgeon? I mean, do, you need, do your implants need a checkup? Well, I would think that we know they need to be replaced. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. you can't, I mean, a breast MRI, which is something that I had at one point to try and detect if they were, they were ruptured, is really expensive. And the thing about implants is it's really an investment. Mm-hmm. You can have a breast MRI to have them checked out, but it's not probably not going to be covered by your insurance company, and, yes. um, and it's a long process and it's and it's expensive. But um, that is one way to check them out. I don't think your pla- your plastic surgeon is normally going to tell you, "Oh, they're fine. What are you worried about? They're great. They're we're good." You know, when I went to ha- honestly, when I went to have mine removed, I was so sick, and my doctor was thirty years older than me. And he said, why do you want to have these taken out? I said, because I can't lift my child and I can't move and I'm tired and my joints hurt. And he said, well, you're just getting old. That's how I feel every day. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're, you know, you're 30, years old, 30 years older than me at least. And then he said, he looked at them and he said, well, you know, these actually look great. They haven't hardened. You don't have that ledge, the ledge that we see so often on Victoria's Secret models. He said, we well, don't have that ledge. They haven't, you know, encapsulated. He said, you know, I, I wouldn't touch those, at least not with a knife. Wow. And wow. I thought, holy cow, that's really scary. And I said, I'm, I feel like I'm dying. I need you to take them out. 
And I had to say, and he tried to put something else back in. Well, let's just put new ones back in. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm over it. I have to get my life back, and I'm really sick, and there's something really wrong. And if this could possibly be it, I need to take away this variable. And I had to, like, beg him to do it and not to put another implant in because, well, that's their business, you know. Well, a lot of well-known actresses, I think Pamela, what's her face? You know, Pamela, what's her face? Yeah, Pamela Anderson. Thank you. (laughs) She had hers taken out. I've read read about a lot of women have, but, you know, what's astounding me and and making my, my, my mind going right now is the fact, including me as well, that once you put them in, you don't think about having to get them checked and, and. So in your case, Mary, what was the, uh, you were feeling bad, right? You had symptoms and with mm-hmm. an autoimmune, you could go to a zillion doctors before you figure out what it is, right? Because I I've did. done a lot on, and, um, you know, 70% of all autoimmune diagnoses are women. So that's a whole mm-hmm. other topic. Um, this is becoming a big passion for me because of that statistic. Um, what was it that was finally the diagnosis that linked what you have, particularly lupus, to your implants and the leakage of silicone? So there is the studies were stopped when the when the implants were pushed through to FDA um, approval, mm-hmm. but what. When, when we were at the hearings, which I testified at, mm-hmm. there, um, the FDA's own scientists found a link between an autoimmune response and, and silicone. <gasps> wow. And you can find the study on the FDA's website if you look at it. But, so and, the FDA's yeah. own scientists were recommending that more studies and testing be done. And one of the things that happened during the approval process was they, the, the manufacturers promised that they would do that research, which has not been done because the FDA has no control to go back afterwards and oversee. There's no oversight for it. Wow. And, and one of the doctors on the panel actually said, well, we know all this information, so if a woman chooses to actually have these, tough luck. To my gasp, and many people in the, in, the, in the room gasped that one of the doctors on the panel to approve them said that. Well, I wouldn't believe it, but they wouldn't say that it was a penile implant, right? <laughs> exactly. We'd have I mean, so much research real. done. And that There'd would be, be covered by insurance, too, because it's a penis. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's reproductive. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we I mean, it's Viagra a, is. <laughs> yeah. Of, well, of course. Who is it for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. That is insane. Just for all of you listening. So, Mary has um, been active and tested in lobby Congress and worked with the the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, to ensure safety and efficacy of implant devices. And you have a, you actually founded an organization, a support group for women called In the Know. Tell us mm-hmm. about that. So In the Know was started because a lot of women in the industry, you know, Sally Kirkland, Linda Blair, me, you know, a lot of us had started to have implant issues. And so we talked about it privately. So it started as sort of a support group for us. And what are you doing to try and get better? How are you, okay, are you having yours removed? How do you do it? And so then all of a sudden I realized that as I started to work with women, and became a voice for women in the country that, that everybody needed to be in the know. And so, we start, so I started in the know just as an information group for all women about breast implants and to um, 
yeah, there's a great group on Facebook now called Silicone, Breast, Silicone Survivors, Breast Implant Silicone Survivors, which is very great, and I'm a member there. Um, they have a lot of people who are, who are sick now still and going through this, and they're in real time. But at that time, I just thought women need to take the bull by the horns, and they need, need to take control of their own health, whether it's an elective surgery or whether it's having you know, a birth control device, whatever they're choosing, we need to not just trust our doctors. We need to question it and we need to do research and we need to decide what we're doing to ourselves and why. And for me, I had to look at the hole that existed inside of me emotionally that would make me want to alter myself to try and fit into an industry that was rejecting me. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit in a little bit of time you know, we have because um you know, body shaming and what I call altered body issues is a big problem. And it, social media is particularly the Instagrammers who constantly are posting their bodies. I mean, I just read about some woman that died because she had button plants and they were like, silicone, silicone. Hello. Like, the faux doctor, the fake doctor just got arrested in the New York Times. Like, who goes and puts, you know, silicone in your ass? I mean, really. I mean, well, when I you're mean, looking <laughs> at the Kardashians as your role model, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? Well, and I just saw Black China. They, I mean, I never, I, I'm, I'm appalled, and I think it's just such a bad role model for all women because we're not talking about the fact that you know my my doctor told me that more young women are coming in to get alterations. My dermatologist, so the lips mainly and the, and the cheeks, but it's a big mm-hmm. problem. Um, you know, what is your message to women about this? First of all, women of uh, an age where they maybe you're feeling less better about themselves because they're aging. And then also because they have daughters who may be talking about having alterations to their body at an, an insanely young age. Well, my, my first gut instinct as a mother um, is to say, no, don't do it. But I mm-hmm. think um, as a parent and as an activist and public speaker about this issue, I, I say, Take some time and really sit quiet with yourself and write maybe journal about what it is and why it is that you want this change. Mm-hmm. Is it because, you know, and I've never had a filler. I'm terrified now because I had this terrible reaction to silicone. Um, like, what is it? What is the hole inside of you? You know, and I'm a, I'm a coach, so I work with people on this daily. Like, what is it inside of you that is screaming to fit in, to belong, or to look different than you are? What's missing? And it's usually not your lips. Mm-hmm. It's usually not having big boobs. It's, it's usually a self-esteem issue. It's, you know, maybe your dad didn't praise you or not. Whatever it is, what's missing mm-hmm. in your life that you feel that you need to alter or change or inject something into you to try and feel better? And ultimately, well, you know, that saying, wherever you go, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. It's so, true. It's always something. It's always something. It's like, why are you overeating? It's usually not the food. You it's don't never, blame when the I food. coach people about losing weight, it's never about the food. Yeah, don't blame the food. It's always because I'm also trained. I trained as an integrative health coach. You're, you trained as a life coach, right? I am. Yeah. So um, I want to touch on that. You've you you kind of. I'm really into women who reinvent to adjust and rewrite their chapters. What was that like for you to um, become a coach, um, and how long have you been doing it? Um, a lot of women do it, um, some successfully and some not. But what was your impetus? Uh, well, in writing my book, um, mm-hmm. I realized, you know, I was working with people and people said, well, you have to write your book. 
you know, about your experience and share with people. And then I started public speaking and then Mm -hmm. there was just sort of a natural progression, even as a filmmaker, you know, uh, having a voice and and sharing my voice with people and then to share with people my solutions and what happened and how I came, like I talk about it in Lessons from the Mountain, my memoir about coming out the other side. Mm -hmm. How do you come out the other side? And it's all a work in progress. I'm not perfect, you know, I cry, I have days of crying too, but it's not about like, how do we, you know, how do we, what do we change to make it better? It's like, how can we work with what we have? So I became Mm -hmm. a certified life coach and I work with people in groups and I also work with people one-on-one and on the phone mostly. So all over the world, I work with people and it's just been incredibly rewarding because we're really all in this together. Mm -hmm. And what I love about coaching that's different than being a therapist is that we're, I'm on an even plane with my clients and we're working together I'm a coactive coach, so um, and it's and it's just incredibly rewarding. Well, I think it's I think it's really for anyone listening out there. If you do have questions about what where to go in your life or concerns, I mean, there's different levels. I have interviewed psycho. There's therapists. There's psychotherapists. There's coaches. There's 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 someone to help you, and a coach is someone like a coach who like a sports coach or an actor. Yeah, but it's about your whole life. (laughs) Right. They help you develop your craft in another way and make you um, employ better habits, outlooks. That's pretty much how a coach works. And and I think it's great you're doing it. Now, you're going to be – you're in Denver now. I know you're coming in – out to uh, Connecticut to talk. What's coming? What's going on out I there? I am. I'm going to be in Collinsville, Connecticut, um, mm-hmm. at the Counton Town Hall Auditorium, mm-hmm. and it's Saturday, October 14th, from six to nine. Mm-hmm. And I'm. We're going to have. I was having a whole conversation. It's called the Canton Conversation with Mary McDonough, and we're going to talk about my books, mm-hmm. my novels, all of this. It's really going to be fun and different because. Um, at first, Larry is going to interview me, and we're going Larry to... Larry you know, Silva, do, right? Yes. Yeah. And then we're going to have an intermission, and then we're going to have question and answer from the audience. So it's going to be really intimate, and then we're going to have a meet and greet. And so it's not like a thing where I come in and do a speech and leave. We're there. We're talking. We're going to take pictures. We're going to have pictures and books. We're going to answer audience questions. And so, um, everybody, come out and see me. Don't don't leave me there with crickets. <laughs> well, I know how. Listen, I I know what that's like. I've done book signings to talk about breast cancer, and it's like you know whatever. But um, just so you know, we're talking about Larry Larry De Silva uh, hosts a wonderful show called Studio Four One One Stars and Legends on Nutmeg TV, and I actually was just on his show last week, September thirteenth. And, Excellent. Um, and I'll be posting a link to, to my show with Larry. Hi, Larry, um, on Facebook at Fearless Fabulous Melanie and also MelanieYoung.com. So uh, if you are in the Connecticut area, you can come out and meet Mary and uh, hear her inspiration, which I found great. And, of course, again, let me just um, remind everybody that your your, your autobiography, um, you've written a number of books, but the autobiography is called Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Aaron Walton. And you can mm-hmm. find that book on where books are sold, as well as information on your coaching and your books and everything else at marymcdonough.com. So um, it's been really great talking to you. Wow, we will have an offline conversation about that. I'm making, I made a little note. Maybe it's time to book uh, a checkup on your breasts, Melanie. Yes. So, um, we will talk about that. Yeah. Because, yes. Because and, yes, you know, and I hope you come out on happen. October 14th and, and we'll, we'll talk more. Uh, absolutely. I don't know if I will be able to make it to Connecticut because I'm probably, oh, I'm in Italy. Poor me. I'm in oh, Italy. I feel so bad. 
me. But um, I encourage everybody else too. And I'm yeah, sure. and you can find information on my website and through um, Stars and Legends, and also my Facebook page. And I'll be posting it also at Fearless Fabulous uh, Melanie on Facebook. Uh, in fact, I already have. So again, thank you, Mary. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today, and I hope you have a fabulous week and a fabulous turnout. I will. You too. And we, you and I will talk soon. All right. Thanks You're for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Fearless Fabulous You with Melanie Young, your host. We will be back uh, in a, a little bit, short time, um, to talk about Ayurveda and what you can learn about having an Ayurvedic life. You're listening to Fearless Fabulous You. you. I am your host, Melanie Young. I, too, am a certified health coach, writer, speaker, uh, and author of Getting Things Off My Chest, a Survivor's Guide to Staying Fearless and Fabulous in the Face of Breast Cancer, and Fearless, Fabulous You, Lessons on Living Life on Your Terms. All my books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, CureDiva.com, and, of course, MelanieYoung.com, where you can follow my blog, which I encourage you to do because I often rehash my discussions with my guests on my blog. And that last one we just had with Mary Madonna on breast can- implants was a big eye-opener, and I know I'm making an appointment to see a doctor ASAP. Okay, ASAP. You'll hear more. Um, we are switching gears, and we're going to talk to a woman who has an incredible background growing up in India. Um, her name is Nalini Mehta, and she is an Ayurvedic. She's a she's a chef, a cook, and an Ayurvedic specialist. She's um, we're connecting with her where she's currently working in Minneapolis, and we're going to talk about what Ayurveda is and how you can incorporate it into your life. Welcome, Nalini. Thank you, Melanie. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Nalini, uh, you grew up in India, uh, and uh, which I have not been 
to India. But the cuisine and the smells and the sights um, that I see really intrigue me. You grew up uh, in a home with cooks, uh, and that inspired you. Give us a little bit about your background. You know, um, I have to say, growing up in India is a very, uh, it's, it's not just one, one picture. It's got many different slides to the same mm-hmm. country. So you go up north, it's loud, chaotic colors, noise. You go down south, parts of it are very quiet, like Kerala, which is the heartland of Ayurveda. Um, so I grew up in different parts of India as well as overseas. And I think my uh, base or my core of my philosophy with Ayurveda comes from the fact that, you know, you, you grow up with certain value systems, but then as your life experiences, you, you see how that translates into good times, not such good times, and how to cope with them. So Ayurveda for me is really the the, the game which shows you how to play life. Well, that's an interesting um, description which I've never heard before in terms of Ayurveda. Um, yeah. And it's based on body type, correct? It is based on body type, but if I was to describe the language, if Ayurveda was a language, it really is based on five basic elements. Mm-hmm. And if you un- have a good understanding or a good visual for what these elements are, both physically um, and uh, psychologically and emotionally, you really get a good sense of what Ayurveda relates to the body types and you as an individual. So let's talk about these. Yeah, let's talk about these. The five elements are, you know, again, I want you to have a visual of this as I talk about these five elements. Mm -hmm. Air, which is light, which is moving, which is uh, changing, uh, cooling, that's the, the quality of air. But then you look at fire and you think of heat, you think of speed, you think of focus, and, and other qualities that fire as a visual gives you mm-hmm. and a feeling of fire. Mm-hmm. Then if you look at water, you see the fluidity of water, the lightness of water, how it takes the shape of whichever body it's it put into. So what is that third element? And then we have earth, and earth is that solid, structured element, um, which also, you know, rarely ever gives way. It has the sense of loyalty, of, of being there, of being mm-hmm. available. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, that element that covers all these, or, or holds all these elements, which is space. Um, which is what? And in space. 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 Space or ether, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you look at these five elements you, and, and really get a clear sense of what these five elements relate to you as an individual, uh, five elements as they relate to nature, five elements as they relate to our psychology, our, our mental, mental state of mind, I mean, it, it, it really covers all of it. So Ayurveda covers both the, the physiology of who we are, but also our mental and emotional state of being. Now, a lot of people have a little bit of everything in them, right? I mean, like vata, pitta, you know, people have different, you're not just one thing, correct? Ever, yes, absolutely. I'd say they're more like clouds. So you're born with a certain body type, 
but mm-hmm. just like the cloud we keep changing based on our experiences that we have so whether it is being in a relationship and what your experiences are and how the other person relates to you so without getting there because that gets complex the simplicity of how i would look at at ayurveda is taking these five elements and seeing what how do you feel at a certain time like if you come after a nice drive on a in a sports car you know top down and the wind has been blowing on your face you have the visual right melanie yes i do i actually love that visual i actually still have a top down car it's for sale anybody <laughs> wants it but i do what have it i drive with the wind in my hair <laughs> what it's, if i tell you to get your top, top down in winter how do you feel I I well in the winter I feel freezing but yeah, most of it's Florida. Yeah, it's, it's, but right. yeah, but and there is something is, very freeing about being outside in the air. It's very freeing. Exactly. That is the quality of air. That mm-hmm. cooling factor, the fact that it just lets you be but it cannot be boxed in. It needs to be so a person who has a, an air personality or air based personality, which is the vata personality. uh they they like being free they hate to be structured they hate to be put in a box they want to to flow and create and who's that is that vata i love that person that is vata. i definitely yeah. love that person yes <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so um that's what i would tell you about body types because without getting into each one in detail if you again look at the element you will get what you're feeling right there it doesn't even need a sanskrit name vata which is the air personality or pitta which is the fire personality and thirdly the the three body types in the third one is kapha well kapha yeah, let's talk about earth how earth. this how you imply these elements into your life first sure. of all for those of you listening uh we're talking with nalini meta m e h t a her website is roottoindia.com nalini has uh grew up in india and was inspired by um the regional uh, cuisines but also you lived in europe and you've been an instructor at the natural um gourmet school in new york which is a terrific school by the way uh and you've worked at candle cafe love that restaurant um hampton chutney love that place in the hamptons and you've taught at whole foods culinary center institute of culinary education what are you doing in the, Uh, Minneapolis right now Nanalini Well this must be close to Haran with the James Cook Foundation uh, Women in Culinary Leadership Program here mm-hmm. working with um, a mentorship program with some most powerful women in the country who are chefs and restaurants so the lady I'm working with who's my mentor is Kim Bartman mm-hmm. and she is truly a, a visionary and and um, just is a great mentor to have in terms of how sustainability and reality in in the restaurant world works you know what are the things that make or break sustainability as a holistic practice not just the environment but running it um with people who also feel holistically connected to what they're doing so well really that's there. a big honor how long will you be there in minneapolis how long is your program the program is uh Eight months. It used to be. It's been going on for the past three, four years now, um, and it it used to be a year. Now it's eight months. But it really, most people tend to stick if they like that program, continue to be with the restaurant. So, case there or there for now, I I I don't know. But I am loving Minneapolis. 
Well, I, I think it's here it's a wonderful city. I haven't been in years, but just a, a point for all of you listening, the Women in Culinary Leadership Program, which is presented by the James Beer Foundation and supported by Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, of which Kim Bartman is the current president, that is a terrific terrific program. We had Susan Angaro on our show, I think last month, talking about uh-huh. it. And uh, we also had um, uh, the founder of uh, uh, Vermilion, who also was behind it on our show, I think a year or two ago when, when the um, program was launched a couple of years ago. Right. Yes, yes. So it's a terrific program. Congratulations on being uh, selected to be a part of it. That is fantastic. Um, how do you work with, uh, you work with, you keep classes and instructions. Talk us through what someone could expect when, when you experience a class with you, how you bring them uh, the experience of Ayurveda. Sure. So, you know, it started uh, off me teaching, you know, just Indian spices. At the National Gourmet, people wanted to know how Indian spices can be incorporated into the food and all that seems so complex. Um, but I had been practicing yoga, which I know you are a practitioner of as well. Yes. Um, and yoga and Ayurveda really come from the same science, same philosophy. Uh, in that yoga, the word yoga actually means uh, connection, like yoke, you know, egg, egg white and yolk. So yoke right. is that connection, that which connects or binds you. Um, and Ayurveda is that connection that you make with yourself and the environment. So it's a really holistic way of, of connection. But when I found that people came to my classes and were really just interested in an aspect and would be distracted with either social media, you know, taking pictures or coming from work and being in a different energy, I found that when I did 10, 15 minutes of guided meditation with them, the whole energy of the class would change. They'd all work in in really harmony, in being more focused. They would in, even their taste buds would be sharper. They'd enjoy the food so much in terms of eating as well. So guided meditation became the signature of my cooking classes. Uh, and as we cooked, I also talked about, of course, the importance of how Ayurveda looks at spices. Um, so the health benefits, but not to deter from the taste of how the food should be. So taste in Ayurveda is huge not just the taste in your mouth, but how does a taste of a food reflect on the mood or the personality of the person who's eating it. So it's very individualistic. It's not that all food is good for everybody. Like you, Melanie, may, from what I can tell, would enjoy salads or, or some cooked grain, being that you're pitta vatai. Is that... Well, you hit the nail on the head because people ask me what my go-to food is that makes me feel good. Somebody asked this on Facebook and everybody was like, fried chicken and grilled cheese. And I'm like, I love steamed spinach with lemon and ginger and a little yogurt, plain Greek yogurt. I'm sure people were like, huh? But I love that. I found I it very When I was going through chemotherapy during my breast cancer treatment, all mm-hmm. I wanted to eat was spinach. And oranges, ah. and oranges, and oranges, and juicy oranges, and and and, and uh-huh. that was. And to this day, I eat it. I could eat it all the time, and I love good salads. I mean, I'm this. I'm the salad specialist at Camp David here. Yes, that's all I, I can do. Imagine. <laughs> so you, you, and we, listen. We've not met in person. Yeah. She's getting that by the phone. So you're very intuitive. <laughs> when I've seen your work, and it just also even the way you focus on things, it's so pitta, so fiery. You focus. 
And so just the way you, you, you conduct your life tells me what kind of food is what you, you know, every, people like sweet, some people like it savory. Why is that? Why do some people gravitate to a taste versus another? Um, and it's just who you are as a person determines what your taste would be. So when you say spinach is what you like, Mm-hmm. It's because spinach is a bitter taste, right? It's a, it's mm-hmm. All greens come out under this bitter taste in Ayurveda. And if you look at a, any green uh, like spinach or kale, when you cook with it, a lot of spinach becomes so little. So the bitter taste has two, two elements in it. Again, everything like we spoke about earlier has all the five elements but a few elements may be more than the other. So the two elements that are higher in the bitter taste is air and space. So as a fire personality, you gravitate to that because with fire personality, your elements have a, high, a dominance of the fire element, as simple as that. So intuitively, you go towards the taste that you are lacking, which is air and space. Does that make sense? Very much so. so you, Balance it with what you eat. So it doesn't mean you don't have to count calories or whether you're eating carbs. You naturally, if you're connected to what you are as a personality, as as what you're feeling in the moment, Mm -hmm. then you will know what to eat. Then you will be able to balance your body with the taste in your mouth, not just for the taste that the flavor offers, but how your emotions react to a certain flavor. So, for example, we know that, you know, America loves ice cream or sweets or desserts. And that is the sweet taste. And sweet taste is made up of two elements. Why do we say, oh, you're so sweet and not, oh, you're so savory or sour? It's really because the sweet taste has the elements of earth and water. One which is grounding and the other which is cooling. So, earth the sweet taste, when you have it, you feel emotionally comforted. Make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I think this is, you know, for those of you listening, Ayurveda has been around for over 3,000 years. And, you know, when people talk about you are what you eat, it's true. And I think you've really explained it, giving me as an example, Nalinia. It's it's quite fascinating. Um, where can people go to learn more about you and what you do? We're coming to the end of um, our time together. It goes so fast. Um, I know. And, yeah. Where can people learn ab- uh, more about you? RootToIndia.com? Route to India and what we've done, because I'm in Minneapolis on this project, what I have done is taken all my classes online. So we offer four sessions of three recipes each where you can learn about Ayurveda. Then we also have other classes like lentils is big for for vegetarians uh, as a source of protein. So I have a whole class on lentils and legumes that you can take online. Great. And then... We also do one-on-one Skype calls, like we are doing this now, uh, where we connect and talk to people about why, you know, books can give you only so much. Right. You, You need that emotional connection to why we do what we do. Well, I think this has really been fascinating. And again, it's RootToIndia.com. We've been speaking with Nalini Mehta, and I want to thank you for joining me today from Minneapolis. For those of you, uh, just a reminder, this is Fearless Fabulous You. 
And all my shows can be heard on iHeart.com and the free iHeart app. And this is live today at the Women for Women Network, W4WN. I want to thank you, Nalini, for joining me. I want to thank all of my wonderful, fabulous audience for joining me. Have a fabulous week. Tell me how you feel about this Do it I want if I want